So good to be together. We do want to give you a huge welcome this morning. If you're in the room here in Chesterfield or if you're watching online, especially if it's your first time, we do want to give you a massive welcome. Come on, let's welcome everybody. Why don't you grab your seats? Like Nathan says, we're, we're, in, uh, we're preparing for Easter and this is the first of our Easter messages this morning. I get the, the privilege to, to bring that to you today. Uh, and like I said, we're in the final week before the Easter weekend. And t- today, as Nathan says, is what's known as Palm Sunday, which is the day when Jesus rode in to Jerusalem on a donkey, if you remember the story. But actually, this morning, we're going forward a few days uh, to the evening of the, the Last Supper. And more specifically, uh, some of Jesus' final moments in the Garden of Gethsemane. The title of my message this morning is, is The Coming Battle. The Coming Battle. You know, the greatest battle ever fought and won was about to happen. It was Jesus' victory at the cross. His death and, spoiler alert, his resurrection three days later. The greatest battle ever fought was about to be fought and won. He conquered sin, death, spiritual rulers and authorities. And I love these verses from Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 to 15. It says this, You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. He cancelled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. What a great way to start. Come on, yeah. A great way to start this morning. So the greatest battle ever fought, the greatest victory ever won was the one, the one that Jesus fought and won at the cross. And a few days before all of that, we find Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, the moment before the coming battle for our lives. In the Garden of Gethsemane, we're going to see what Jesus went through for us. Even before he gets to his trial and persecution and execution, we will see what Jesus went through for us. I don't know about you, But going through a difficult and painful experience is bad enough. But when you know something is going to happen, the waiting before it happens can be even worse. You know what I mean by that? The waiting can be even worse. When you're in the waiting room, we've all had that experience, when you're waiting for results. Maybe the the night before an exam or a test, particularly a driving test, that, that waiting can be so difficult. The waiting before an interview can be so difficult, you know. We're about to start decorating our bedroom tomorrow. The waiting is killing me. <laughs> but those moments, I think, can seem insignificant when compared with, and we, we remember these, the landing party of soldiers just before they hit the beaches of Normandy. You remember the, th- the thoughts going through their, their mind, what they're thinking. If anybody's seen the film Saving Private Ryan, just the fear on their faces. Or the, in the trenches of, in the World War I, just before they went over the top into no man's land. You know what? The waiting, the pain, the suffering, even before they get to the battle, is horrendous. Forgive me for a moment. I'm going to put my geek hat on. Please bear with me. Okay, are you ready? One of my favourite books and movie trilogies is The Lord of the Rings. 
I love that book. <laughs> and in the third book, the third movie of the trilogy, The Return of the King, there's a, a quiet moment just before the terrible battle between Gondor and the armies of Mordor. When the hobbit, you know, the little guy, one of the little guys, Pippin, and Gandalf, you know Gandalf's a wizard, sorry, bear with me, are looking at the violent clouds gathering over Mordor. Pippin says to Gandalf, it is so quiet. Gandalf replies, it is the deep breath before the plunge. I love that. The deep breath before the plunge. The fear and tension keeps growing uh, within Pippin until he finally says this, I don't want to be in a battle, but waiting on the edge of one, I can't escape is even worse. I don't want to be in a battle, but waiting on the edge of one, I can't escape is even worse. We're going to go to a Bible passage where we're going to read about Jesus in one of those moments, the edge of a coming battle, just before his arrest in Gethsemane. Let's turn to Matthew 26. Matthew chapter 26, and it's from verse 36. And it says this, it says, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? The guys are falling asleep again. He asked Peter, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands, into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. You know, for Jesus, the Garden of Gethsemane is that deep breath before the plunge. The moment where he can clearly see the clouds, the dark clouds of Calvary at the cross gathering. And in some ways, you know, Gethsemane was harder for Jesus than the cross itself. These will be the darkest hours of Jesus' life. The decisive spiritual battle that Jesus came to fight will be fought on the cross. But it's Gethsemane where he waits on the edge of a battle he can't escape that will be most terrifying to his soul. But as that's often is the case in our lives, you know, the darkest moments in Jesus' lives, life are also those times when the grace of God shines the brightest. You know, when you're going through those moments, those dark moments, you know, God's grace comes, shines so bright. You know, and in that valley of Gethsemane, we get one of the clearest and greatest views of the highest peaks of God's love, God's love at work. And I want to share three things, three observations from Gethsemane this morning that I really want to emphasize to you this morning because I really believe that God wants to do something in your life today. As he reveals what Jesus is going through 
through in these moments, I believe this is a message of hope. This is a message of grace, of salvation that he wants to bring to you this morning. The first observation is this, the humanity of Jesus. The humanity of Jesus in his suffering, in his faith, in his trust, in his obedience to the will of the Father. You know, for, for Jesus, Gethsemane and Calvary will be the lonely lonely places he will face and fight the battles there alone in his darkest hour his closest friends will abandon him out of fear for their lives the war for our lives was won on Calvary but it's preceded by a, a very important battle in the garden of Gethsemane Moments before the disciples had been enjoying the, the Passover feast, the, the Last Supper together in the upper room. You know, the mood changed quickly uh, when Jesus called out his betrayer and also all of the disciples for eventually deserting him in the heat of the battle. You and I probably would rather see ourselves uh, as warriors and not cowards. But an honest part of me identifies with wanting to run away from a battle sometimes you know that's the humanity of the disciples and maybe ours as well and you know the disciples were imperfect yet an important part of the Easter story as we are and I just want to encourage you for a few moments to think about one of the greatest battles in history and how it changed our lives and how it can change your life today Jesus takes his disciples into to Gethsemane after eating the last supper Gethsemane means uh, in an oil press in Aramaic. It means to press oil. It was a garden filled with olive trees. And who loves a good olive? <laughs> but uh, but though it's just to mean Gethsemane, that, 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 it means an oil press. And when we, they arrive, Jesus takes his three closest disciples, Peter, James and John aside. And Jesus is feeling anxious and wants the companionship of his friends. And I love that thought. Just aside, you know, when we're going through a, a difficult moment, we need the companionship of our friends. We don't want to do this on our own. And I love the thought that Jesus wanted his friends with him. And I hope that's your cry this morning. If you're going through something, to bring companionship and bring friendship into your life. And he confines in them. In Matthew 26, 38, we just get this incredible few words of how, what Jesus is feeling in that moment. And it says this, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. You know, Jesus experienced physical pain in this battle, which would intensify uh, in so subsequent battles a few hours later in courtrooms and, and on the cross of Calvary. The prophet Isaiah spoke of this when he said in Isaiah 53 verse 5, it says he was pierced because of our transgressions, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him and we are healed by his wounds. He experienced physical pain. Jesus also experienced, experienced spiritual pain in that battle of Gethsemane. I believe that the weight of our sin is what Jesus dreaded the most about the cross, that he would take upon himself our sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says he made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus took all that upon himself. There is only one good reason. You know, Jesus did not call down angels to deliver him from that coming battle. And he could have done that. 
He, he could have done that. There was one reason why he didn't. He would rather deliver us than be delivered. Jesus would rather deliver you than be delivered. Jesus was a Messiah on a mission. He was on a mission. He experienced physical, spiritual pain. And Jesus, as we read, experienced emotional pain. When his closest friends fell asleep three times in a row that night, it seems the closer Jesus got to the cross, the lonelier he became. When his friends weren't sleeping or deserting him, they were denying and betraying him. By the end of Good Friday, Jesus would be rejected by the Romans, the Jews, the disciples, and God the Father himself. Isaiah also prophesied this in Isaiah 53, verse 3 and verse 6. It says, he was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid upon him the sins of us all. Incredible what Jesus is going through in those moments. Incredible. You know, not all wars and battles are noble. We know that so true today. Some fight for land, some for revenge, others for power. Jesus' motives for this noble fight are clearly stated by one of uh, those who slept that night and somebody who deserted him in the garden, only to deny him as well in the courtyard. Peter wrote these words in 1 Peter 2, Verse 24, he says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. That's what Jesus went through for us, to take upon himself our sins and the pain, suffering that he went through. Jesus, it says, was overwhelmed, overwhelmed in that moment, a moment of sadness and distress. You know, we can all feel overwhelmed at times, can't we? We can feel sad and distressed in moments and there's nothing wrong with that. And so too, here we see Jesus uh, giving into the weight of grief. You know, if we deny our sadness, then we're denying part of our humanity, uh, a, a part Jesus embraced. Knowing that he's hours away from his betrayal, betrayal and death, Jesus described his own condition to his followers as being overwhelmed with the sorrow to the point of death. And Jesus, in his humanity, is so overwhelmed and he is at a loss at what to do. You know, when the word Jesus became human, he didn't just appear in the likeness of humanity. He became a person like you and like me. He was unique in that he was fully God and fully man. And part of the human condition are those times of distress and sorrow when we're so overwhelmed, we literally go into a state of shock. We don't know what to do. You know, it's good to know that Jesus was experiencing everything that we do. And he knows and understands the frailty of our condition. I love that thought. Jesus can empathize, sympathize with us. I thank God for that kind of savior, that he knows what we're going through today. He knows what we experience. He knows our weaknesses, our frailties. He knows all that because he has experienced exactly that. And he's going through one of his darkest moments right now here in Gethsemane. So in this moment of being overwhelmed with sorrow, he asks his friends to pray for him. And then he, he puts some distance between himself and them and he falls to the ground and he cries out to God. Matthew 26, verse 39, again, it says, going a little farther, he fell down with his face to the ground 
and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. He prays, he prays to his father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup of suffering from me. Can you hear the cry of the son to his father? I know you can do everything. You're all powerful. You could make another way. You could make it possible for me to not have to suffer. And Jesus was appealing to the power of God. But he was also making a final decision for you and for me, for all of humanity. Eternity hung on God's response and Jesus' decision. There's a, a battle going off between Jesus and the will of the Father. And what Jesus decides will last forever. His humanity was crying, no, no, can I do this? Can I carry the sin of the world? Can I bear the separation between my, God and my Father? Father, if there's another way, is there any way that this cup of suffering can pass by me? The battle for humanity at the cross was approaching, but right here, that humanity is so evident in Jesus. What would be his response? What would be Jesus' response in this moment? And here we have, I believe, our second observation from Gethsemane. It's this, number two, the love of Jesus. The love of Jesus. Martin Luther King said this, Jesus knew that the old eye for an eye philosophy would leave everyone blind. He did not seek to overcome evil with evil. He overcame evil with good. Although crucified by hate, he responded with aggressive love. I love that. Jesus responds with this incredible love for us, for mankind. Love compelled Jesus to fight for our souls at the battles of Gethsemane and Calvary. Jesus went through that because he loved us so much. And so his response, same verse, Matthew 26, 39. He says, going a little farther, he fell down with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. But then he said this, yet not as I will, but as you will. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Jesus was so overwhelmed by the weight he would have to bear that in his humanity, he prayed a prayer that could not be answered with a yes. Father, may this cup be taken from me. Jesus knew that the cup could not be removed, but in his humanity, he desperately wanted that cup to be removed. He desperately didn't want to go to the cross. He didn't want to drink the cup the Father was offering, but his prayer didn't end with remove this cup. It ended with yet not as I will, but as you will. Jesus submitted himself perfectly to the will of God. God's will was that he wanted even more than life, even more than avoiding the horror before him. Obeying his father was the most important thing to him. And in that obedience, we see the depth of the love of Jesus and the depth of the love of the father for you and for me, that he loved you so much that he was willing to go through that for us. The will of God, uh, Jesus is speaking, isn't some corporate strategy it is the loving plan of salvation, the plan that the Father and Son would devise together in eternity past. The will of God and the will of Jesus is to love us deeply enough to save us. That's why Jesus came. That's why God sent his Son to lay down his life for us. And in the darkness of Gethsemane, we see the brightness of God's love for us so much more clearly. John 3.16 for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him 
will not perish, but will have eternal life. God so loved the world that he laid down, gave his son for us. Romans 8, verses 32 and 37 to 39, it says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Now in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present or the future, or any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He loves you. He loves me. Jesus submitted himself to the Father's will that he will... That, and that will was to love us enough to save us going through the horror of the cross. In Gethsemane, we see the love of Jesus and our Heavenly Father. And this is the greatest treasure we have. That personal, intimate, specific love of God that he has for you. No trial can separate us from that love. No pain can distance us from that love. No loss can remove the love of God from us. You know, the greatest and most beautiful thing about Gethsemane isn't that, isn't that we can't, can relate to it. It's that we never will have to. You know, we will never go through what Jesus went through. It's not nothing we will ever experience because only the saviour of the world could drink that cup. And the greatest comfort and joy we get from Gethsemane isn't that we relate to Jesus there, but that we receive the love of Jesus that was pressed out there. You know that Jesus went through that to show his love for us. My prayer is that you will receive, you'll know that love this morning, that the Holy Spirit, you know, will just come and just minister to you today, that penetrate deep into your heart. And you realise the reality of God's love for you. That's my prayer for you this morning. Even though you and I, like the disciples, you know, we make mistakes. We, we fail. You know, we might not be able to stay true to Jesus in our own strength and all too quickly desert Jesus when the going gets tough, you know, just like his disciples. Yet he still loves us. He still loves you. I pray that you'll receive that love this morning. If you're not yet a Christian, if you've not made that decision to follow Jesus, there's no other way to be saved except through faith in Jesus. Jesus prayed that prayer, if there is another way, let that cup pass from me. You know, there's no other way for us as sinners to be saved. And the Bible says there is no other name given under heaven by which men can be saved. It's through Jesus we can know salvation today. Receive him in your, into your life today. Receive his love and the gift of eternal salvation. Which leads us to my final observation, which is this, the hope of Jesus. The hope of Jesus. Whatever he was going through, whatever he was about to go through, there was hope. There was hope. There was a plan. And he surrendered his trust to the Father. That's my encouragement to you today. Whatever you may be facing, whatever you may be experiencing, surrender your trust to the Father, to God. Whatever you might be going through, you can know a hope that you will come through this. A hope that says there's a, a better future. And why is that? I love this quote. By Billy Graham, he said this, For the believer, there is hope beyond the grave. Because Jesus Christ has opened the door to heaven for us by his death and resurrection. There is hope beyond the grave. Easter always brings hope to all of us. 
You know, for the Christian, the cross tells us that God understands our suffering for he took it upon himself at the cross. All of our sins, all of our failures, all of our suffering. You know, on the cross, Jesus asked this question, why, why my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He received his answer. He knew it was for this reason, to redeem the world to save you and me from our sins, to give us an assurance that if we died, we were going to heaven. He was saying from the cross, I love you. I know the heartaches and the sorrows and the pain that you may feel. You know, Easter points us beyond the death on a cross to the hope of an empty tomb. And that's the hope that we have today, that Jesus didn't just die for us. Three days later, he rose again. He's alive today. It's the hope of the empty tomb. It tells us that there is hope for eternal life, for Jesus has conquered death. Jesus has conquered death. And so we have that hope of eternal life. It also tells us that God has triumphed over evil, over death and over hell. This is our hope and it can be your hope as well. And hope I believe is found in the promises that God has given us. Promises that we can be free from sin in our lives, free to know Him, free to have that relationship with Him. With Him, We can find so much hope through the gift of eternal life made possible through His Son, Jesus Christ. No matter what trials, temptations or pain we may suffer, we can always hold on to the hope that God has given us. God has given us this incredible hope. Just a couple of scriptures to share with you. 1 John 5 verses 13 and 14 he wrote this I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and this is the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will he hears us you can know this morning that you have eternal life you can know this morning with real hope that that God loves you, that Jesus wants to come into your life and He wants to give you that hope, that future of eternal life in Him. That's our hope today. Ephesians 2, 8 to 10, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before Him that we should walk in in them. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. It is a gift of God. And God wants to bring that gift into your life today. What will your response be today? You know, when Jesus said yes to the Father, it meant salvation for us. And we, when we say yes to Jesus, to our salvation, it is saying no to our wills and agendas. And it's giving our lives over to Jesus. It's making Him Lord of our lives. Salvation is the forgiveness of sins. It's a free gift of grace that God wants to bring, give to you today. You know, you can't add to that gift. You can't earn it. You can't make yourself any more or less deserving of it. However, we, we cannot forget that, that nothing is free. It's free to us, but what is free for us costs Jesus everything. You know, Jesus went through all of that for us, pay the price for us that we could know Him today. He loves you. His mercy and grace pursues us, and I love that. And He he does that all days of our lives. His grace reaches out to us, and He's asking us to say yes to His salvation today. When Jesus said yes to the cross, He was saying to us that He believed we were worth it. You were worth it for Him to grow through that on those days, in those moments. What is 
our response this morning. What is our response to Him today?